So great to see you today. Lots and lots of guests here. Thank you for making your way to be with us. Please open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. That's where we're going to be studying from today. You know, one of the really cool feelings of life, maybe some of you can remember this, is that moment where you, you, you walked into a test and you'd prepared and you'd studied and, and you knew you were ready and you walked in the test and, and you, you completed the test. In fact, maybe you finished the test before anybody else and you're able just to sit back and relax and you walk out of the test and you say to your friends, I aced that test. Anybody remember that feeling? Maybe you never experienced that feeling, okay? Well, that's a really wonderful feeling. On the other hand, one of the worst feelings is to walk into a test not being prepared, look at all the material, have no clue what's going on, and walk out of the test, and before you ever get, receive the grade, the grade, you know you flunked it. It's just a terrible, terrible feeling. The only worst feeling I can think of is when you took a test, and you walked out, and you said to your friends, I really, really blew this away, I aced this test, and you go back the next day, and you get the test back, and you flunked it then you know you're just absolutely clueless, all right? So today, we want to talk about acing the test. As we look through Scripture, there's a consistent test by which we can measure our faith, our heart, and even our love for God. Let's look at a few passages that mention this. First of all, the test of our faith, Malachi chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. The prophet says, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. That's God. They're robbing God. Go to the next verse. Bring the whole tithe in the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Actually, in this passage, there are two tests. There's a test of our faith that we trust God if we will give to him first. Off the very top, that 10%, do we trust him that he will give us more than we can even imagine? And on the other hand, God says in this one, only place in scripture, I'm going to let you test me. So it's a double test. Then Jesus, when he's talking about money in that section of the Sermon on the Mount, In Matthew chapter 6, he says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What's he saying? You want to know where your heart is. You want to take a test of that. Look at where you put your treasure. Greatest way to measure what you really put your heart into is to look at your checking account balance and see where you're putting your money. And then in the passage we're focusing on today, Paul says something that really might disturb us. It's the test of the sincerity of your love. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 8 and 9. Paul Paul takes this to a different level. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Paul says there, you really want to see your love if it's sincere? He's trying to motivate these people about what they're giving. Look at how you're giving. So that's the consistent test in Scripture. Now here's our problem. The truth is, most of us don't like this test. 
do we? I mean, many of us, if you knew today's message was going to be on giving, there are probably some people that wouldn't even show up. There are probably others of us, you'd show up out of obligation, but you'd go, oh my goodness, here he goes. He's preaching about giving. Don't want to take that test. That's a, that's a really tough one. Yeah, and we hear people say all the time about churches, all they ever talk about is what? Money. Now, I can be honest with you here, that's not very true here. We don't talk about money hardly at all here at Landmark. In fact, it's probably a mistake. Because let me say, someone who was just very comfortable talking about money was our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, one out of every ten verses has to do with money. If you read through the parables, 42% of the parables are metaphors about money in the way we spend it. So Jesus had no problem with it. So, so we, got, we got sort of a, a tension here in the room this morning in that God has no problem saying, this is a great way for us to measure how you're doing, but we've got a problem with God doing it. Now, now what's the purpose of a test? Understand this. The goal here is not simply to get your money. That's not the goal. The goal here is for God to have everything about you. Money simply seems to be the place where God is able to test that very well. What is the purpose of a test? The purpose of a test is to let the teacher know and let you know how well you're mastering the material. And so God says, I want to give you a simple test that will help you know if you're mastering the material. Let's simply look at where you're putting your money. Now, why would God make such a big deal about something that we resist? Because God knows that where we put our money reveals more about our heart than probably anything else. This isn't a scripture, but it's something we know that really is a scriptural principle. Fill in the blank. Why don't you just put your money where your mouth is? Because we know it's easy to run our mouth. But maybe you're in charge of some cause, you know, and you're raising money for United Way or the Cancer Foundation or you name it, Agape. You, you got, you're, you're, you're raising, that, that's awesome. And, and there's going to be a lot of people that come up to you and say, that is such a great cause. Man, I, I appreciate what you're doing there. Thank you for that. But that's not the test. The only way you're going to really know that they're behind you is when they put their money where their mouth is. And so that's why God makes this the test. So let's cool off a little bit this morning. Lay back and let God work on our heart. Paul's trying to work with this. Paul is, um, he's out taking collection from the Gentile churches to support the mother church in Jerusalem. See, something really odd's happened. This mother church in Jerusalem where the church started has all of a sudden hit great poverty. It's in terrible, terrible shape. And Paul has decided what he's going to do about it is he's going to go across the, the Gentile world and he's going to collect this money to take care of this church. Now, not only is he wanting to take care of their needs, but Paul has another motive in mind. And that motive is, what will this do for this Jewish church and the unity between it and the Gentile churches? Because there's this ongoing tension between the Jewish people who thought they had the corner on faith in Almighty God and now the door being opened to the Gentile church. And what's going to happen, Paul thinks, if the Gentile church comes to the rescue of the Jewish church? And, and Paul's writing a church that is obviously struggling with this money issue. 
And so as, as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he's going to sort of pull off all the motivational stops to motivate them. He's going to try to motivate them negatively. He's going to try to motivate them positively. And then he's going to give them just the greatest inspiration you could have. Let's go and read the passage first. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul's doing his work. Let your heart be open so he could do this same work on you and I this morning. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and in complete earnestness and in love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you. We wish he were. But I am, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others, that Macedonian church. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What a great passage. How does he motivate him? First of all, negatively. He says to the Corinthians, you've got a problem, and the problem is greed. Very subtly, we through this passage, Paul says, you know, you're doing good in these areas, but you're not doing very good here. Uh, Later on, if you keep reading the chapter, he says, you guys started off pretty well, but you've slacked off. And you need to deal with this. You know, some people are actually motivated by the negative. You ever known people like that? I mean, all, all they need to get really fired up is someone to say, okay, buddy, you got a problem here you need to work on. And they're like go for it. I, I know people in church, as, as a preacher, I've been here long enough that I sort of know which sermons motivate who. And I can tell you which sermons and what person's going to say, I really love that sermon and what person is going to dodge me at the door according to the sermon, all right? And there are actually some people here, uh, back when I was a, a youth minister, the teenagers used to call it a throwdown sermon. You ever heard of that? When you just sort of let everybody have it, you know, and you just cut loose and just blast the church. You won't believe this. There are people that will come by that door back there and profusely thank me for doing that. They, some reason, they love that. And some of us are motivated by the negative. And Paul thinks there's some people at Corinth, if they would just realize they're being greedy, if they, if they, they just look in the mirror long enough to go, I got a problem here, they'll do better. Now, guys, greed is still a big problem for us. Greed is just the mindset that I've always got to have more. No matter what I've got, I've got to have more. My life's not going to be significant without the next purchase and the next thing. Now, guys, there is nothing wrong with having things. There's not even anything wrong in Scripture with being rich. What the Bible says, if you read it, is if you're rich, just make sure you're very generous. 
But there is something wrong when I become greedy and I've always got to have more and my life is never fulfilled. And so things begin to do something really dangerous. They become an idol for me. Now, here's the fascinating thing about it. Whatever income level you're at here this morning, you say, well, I don't have that much, so I couldn't be greedy. You could be just as greedy as someone who's way rich. Here's what statistics say in America. Every American, when asked, how much more do you need to really be content, says 10%. Whether you're making $30,000 a year or $300,000 a year, it's the same statistic. And that's what Satan does to us. He says to you, if you just had 10% more, you'd be okay. And so one reason this Corinthian church is not very good at their giving is because they're, they're, they're seeking out that 10%. And they're probably saying, once I get this, then I'm going to be generous. And that's what's happening in the church today. Average church in America, Americans give 2% of their income to church. Now, now listen, about 10 to 25% of the average church do tithe. Here's a frightening statistic. 33 to 50% of the people in the average church give nothing. And greed may be the culprit. So that's his negative motivation. His positive motivation is the Macedonian example, which is generosity. I mean, he, he shows them this example of this church that really is quite amazing. We probably should quote Mark Twain here. There's nothing more annoying than a good example. Well, maybe, maybe this is a little annoying. Here's this church at Corinth that's being greedy. And, and, and Paul says, hey, I want to motivate you. It's sort of like we've witnessed in Landmark over the last few weeks. We've heard a lot of amazing testimonies. I don't know anything that motivates us more than a great testimony. Paul says, I want you to hear this testimony of this church that's just not very good at math at all. He says, they're living in deep poverty. They're undergoing severe trials, but they're overflowing with rich generosity. Did you hear that? Deep poverty, severe trials equals rich generosity. You see, guys, in God's economy, everybody's to give. There was actually a feast in the Old Testament, the Feast of Purim. And what everyone was to do was to go out and find someone poorer than them and give to them. That was the goal. Because what God's trying to communicate is we can all give. Now let's think about this amazing example of the Macedonian church. Let me give you three things here. First of all, they gave voluntarily. They begged, the Bible says, for the opportunity to give. Isn't that amazing? A lot of times when we come to Sunday like this and we're talking about money a little bit, if we're not careful, what we do is we're, we're begging you, please, please help us. No, 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 no. If we understand how good God's been to us, we don't beg people to give, we beg to give. And this church, they, they beg. Not only did they give voluntarily, they gave generously. I mean, they overflow with giving. He says they, they really give what they don't even have. These people are air impoverished. The truth is, for most of us, there's not anybody in here impoverished. If you make an, Ameri an average American salary this morning, you are in the top 5% of wealth in the world. Top 
5%. Our problem is back to the last problem. We're so greedy that we buy more than we can afford. So we end up being so uptight that we can't be generous when something comes along. This church was generous. And, and here's the key point is they gave personally. I, you, know, you know, what Paul says is they first gave themselves. Here's what God knows. Listen to me. God knows if he gets you, he gets everything else. The, the, the big issue here is not money. It's not your time. It's not even your service. The big issue is yourself. And guys, when you finally cross the line and you give personally, then everything else comes. Now, for some of us, let's just be honest here this morning, money's not your issue. You're, you're, you're very willing to give money, but times were your chintzy. There, there's some of you, you're very willing to come in here and put a check in, but you're not willing to serve in the great ministry of this church. And so maybe what you need to apply this to is not money as much as, as your service. Whatever is your issue, let me challenge you. When you finally give yourself, the rest will just follow. The misery is what I've never really surrendered my life to God. And I come in, I hear this sermon, and I go, I know that's true. I know that's right. I know what the Bible teaches, but I don't want to do it. God doesn't want you to do this under compulsion. He says that in the next chapter. He doesn't want you to be forced into this because he knows that's no good. He wants you to do it because he's got you. And when he gets you, he gets it all. And that's what's so impressive about this Macedonian church. Now, can you imagine here at the landmark church, if we could give the same way they give, can you imagine and dream with me what we could do? Now, we've been very blessed going through the economic downturn compared to many, many churches where you've even read in the paper that have to cut ministries and cut ministers and all kinds of things. We, we've done fairly well in that way, but we don't want to do fairly well. We have had to, to not do some things that we would love to do. There are some amazing ministries in this town we'd like to support. There are some things we'd like to do on our own that we're having to hold back to just to be wise financially. But I'm telling you, if we caught this Macedonian example and we gave this way, the sky would be the limit of what we could do. And it would be quite amazing. Dream about that with me. Now, if you're not motivated by the negative or even the positive example, here's his final motivation. The greatest inspiration is Jesus. He says, though he was rich, he became poor for our sake. The most costly gift of all times is when Jesus left the riches and splendor of heaven to come to this earth and live among us. And that's what should really inspire us. As disciples of Jesus, I look at what Jesus did and I go, how in the world could I ever outgive him? I love the story of a couple of decades ago of Mother Teresa when the AIDS virus first came out and Mother Teresa was in India, and she was inviting the men who had had that terrible disease that at that point no one understood. It was a death disease. It was looked at as an awful, awful thing for someone to have. And most people were hands-off because they didn't know exactly how it was spread. And Mother Teresa was letting all these people into her home. And one day she walks out of her home. The reporters wouldn't come in. And they corner her outside on her doorstep and they say, how in the world are you doing this? She said, these men need me. 
And the reporter then said to her, woman, you're crazy. I wouldn't do that for all the money in the world. And I love what that sweet woman said. She said, neither would I, but I'd do it for Jesus any day. And guys, that's the point, is our response to Jesus Christ. We're going to sing a song in just a few moments. One of my favorite Lord's Supper songs. But it says so much. And and listen to the first verse and listen to the last verse. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain, I count but loss. And I pour contempt on all my pride. That's a great verse. Well, 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 the songwriter knows exactly what Paul knows. If we'll look at Jesus long enough, it will, it will douse out our pride and our greed. And then the last verse goes this way. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Guys, when I get Jesus, this isn't a pressure thing. This isn't a compulsion thing. This isn't an obligation thing. Paul even says, this is not a commandment thing. Let me put it this way. It's a response thing. I just can't get over what Jesus gave for me. And there's no way that I could ever give enough to him. I love that song. And I love, in just a moment, we're going to sing it and we're going to use it not only as our response time, but it is our time to set up the Lord's Supper. And to conclude service today, we're going to take the Lord's Supper and then we're going to, we're going to give. And, and today, I hope that you will see the connection between the two. When I was growing up, when some body got up to do the Lord's Supper and the contribution, after the Lord's Supper was over, they would make this statement, separate and apart from the Lord's Supper, we now are going to give of our means. Anybody ever heard that statement? We were very scriptural. We knew that it would send your soul to hell to mix two items of worship, all right? So we kept the line really, really nice there, all right? I think that was one of the worst things we said. Separate and apart from the Lord's Supper, now let's give. I think we'd be a lot wiser this morning, a lot more scriptural actually, to say connected to the Lord's Supper and because of the Lord's Supper, we now give. What a beautiful place in our service that so often our giving follows remembering what he gave for us. So today, out of response for what he's done, give. You see, the key to this whole thing was back in verse 5. They first gave themselves. Guys, that's the issue. Please don't leave this message today and think the issue is money. And we're talking about money. It's a great test. But the goal is not to pass the test. The goal is to master the subject. The goal is to be a disciple of Jesus. And being a giver just happens to be, despite our discomfort, 
the best way to figure that out. So, as we sing this song, would you respond, first of all, by giving yourself to the Lord? I love the story about this pole vaulter. He wasn't doing very well, and he, he had the ability. He was gifted pole vaulter. But they're in the national meeting. He's just, just flunking out. He's just not hitting anything. And finally, his coach said this to him. He said, son, throw your heart over the pole, and the rest of your body will follow. And that's what God's saying to us today. Just throw your heart over the line. Throw yourself over the line. And God's going to get your money, and he's going to get your time, and he's going to get your service. And you're not going to be chintzy about any of those things. It will no longer be the question, well, okay, buddy, give me a percentage here. Is 10% the percentage? Not really. How much time do I have to give? How many, how many times do I have to come to church? How much service do I have to be involved in this church? I mean, just give me, a, give me a, a nice minimal amount. If that's the question you're asking and that's your behavior, you don't get it. You need to throw your heart over the pole and then your money and your time and your service will follow. And you know what? When you... um. When you pass this test, you're going to experience some awesome things. You're going to experience joy and freedom and unity. That's what you'll experience. I mean, guys, there's nothing more miserable than being chintzy and and, and scared to death to give. It's miserable. It's joyful when you go, my God's been so good to me. Man, I just, I just got to give back to him. I beg you to let me give. And you're going to experience freedom. Guys, greed is bondage. Some of you are in bondage financially. I've been there before, so I'm not, I'm not casting a stone here. Because of your spending habits and not putting God first and just getting everything you want, it's bondage. God wants to free you from that. That's why he says do this first. And then you know what? It's unity. Catch this. In the New Testament, every time the word fellowship is used, see, we think about fellowship and we think about what? Let's go eat together. The word fellowship in the New Testament is always used to describe us giving together. The way we get unified and close is when we put our money where our mouth is and give together to a common cause that's bigger than us. That's fellowship. And you could experience that. So let's sing this beautiful hymn. If you need to first give yourself to the Lord, why don't you do that right now while we stand and sing?